Welcome to Being at Work. Today's guests learned through a challenging situation to pick something and stick with it. Steve Congro serves as Director of Enterprise Architecture and Omnichannel Technology for Saddle Creek Logistics Services. Saddle Creek is an omnichannel supply chain solutions company operating in 46 locations nationwide. In his current role, Steve oversees system architecture for all of Saddle Creek's technology and is focused on both cost efficiency and driving new technical offerings. Prior to Saddle Creek, Steve served as the Director of Supply Chain Solutions for Fanatics, a top 50 internet retailer company. Fanatics is the world's largest online retailer of licensed sports merchandise and the official online store partner for every major professional sports league in America. Steve will highlight an experience from Fanatics today. Steve knows what it's like to have too many balls in the air, as you'll hear. Today, he will share leadership insights from a pivotal moment in his career when he led the back office strategy for integrating three organizations. Check it out as he highlights three specific lessons learned. I spent a couple years in college and then shortly right after college with the city of Jacksonville. You know, it really started out as a perfect solution and internship for a dual major computer science and political science. Well, you know how plans sometimes go. Um, I dropped political science from my major and I stuck with computer science. I still have a passion around, especially local government and poor local politics. So I still stay connected to it a, a bit, but uh, you know, things just didn't, you know, things I wanted to move on from, from the city. So, you know, at the time I was 21 and I heard about this small company called Fanatics. At the time it was called Football Fanatics. They had a couple stores in the malls in Jacksonville. You know, about $5 million company at the time. And I, to be honest, I didn't even know they had a website. Um, I knew them from the stores in the mall. But I'm like, you know, and, and of course, timing-wise, we were right at the end of the dot-com bubble. This is, you know, 03 or 04. So I'm like, although I'm 21, I didn't really have any expenses. I didn't really have, you know, anybody depending on me. I didn't have a wife. And so I said, if there's any, any time to take a risk and go... Try out what an e-commerce company is like. It, it, this is the time. So I did it. Fast forward almost 12 years when I left Fanatics in November of 2015. Fanatics was a billion-dollar company. Um, the official online retailer, as you mentioned, of nearly every sports organization in North America. And, and the expansion has been great. I mean, it's been great, great to watch them from the outside grow. You know, not there anymore. I'm with Salad Creek, um, a third-party logistics company. And... And I think the expertise that I bring is the experience in the e-commerce space, the experience around direct-to-consumer. That's something that not a lot of third-party logistics companies naturally have because historically third-party logistics companies were, were B2B, you know, shipping from a distributor, warehouse to a distributor, warehouse to a brick-and-mortar retailer, that sort of thing. So I feel like that I add that aspect of my experience to Salary. And it's, it's been fun. It's been fun coming up on five years Awesome. Well, congrats on your five-year anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. So going back to Fanatics, so that must have been fun, given the connection to the professional sports world. <laughs> it was a ton of fun. I, I will look back and I, I talk glowingly about my time at Fanatics. And, and that's not because you know I'm not there. I, I want to be back there. I'm very happy to be clear. But at the same time, I mean, it's fun. You know, especially I, mean, I was a young kid in my 20s who loved sports. And I get to work in sports all day, every from a right place at the right time. 
perspective. I mean, that, that's pretty close to it's pretty close to Nirvana. Well, and significant growth the company experienced during your time there as well. And I know you've talked about, particularly around 2013, you've talked about this experience in bringing together multiple organizations and some key learnings you had. Absolutely. So in 20, actually it was 2011 and 2012, where you know, there were really three major players in the space. There was us, and we were, we were actually the middle player in the space. For that. Then you had a company called GSI Commerce Solutions at the time. And then you had a company called Dreams. They were, the, the GSI was the number one, Finance was the number two, Dreams was the number three. So over about an 18 month period, there were a fairly complex series of mergers and acquisitions. All three of those companies became one. Now, the interesting about that is while in most mergers and acquisitions, the larger company becomes the quote unquote surviving company. You know, this, the largest company's leadership is running the company, the largest company's technology is technology stack, that sort of thing. This went a little different. And the way this played out is the leadership largely came from Fanatics. The technology largely came from Fanatics. The headquarters was in Jacksonville, where Fanatics was based. So the middle company in this regard became the surviving company. So at the time, we were you know, about a $180 million company, and we basically became about an $800 and $900 million company overnight. That wouldn't have normally been the, the smoothest way to do things, but that's what happened. So we identified 2013 was the year that we brought everything together. So all three businesses were combined onto one technology It was, I'll say it was a challenge. The nature of e-commerce, and especially as we all know with, with COVID right now, is e-commerce, especially companies that, and websites that are very good gift shops, and, and Fanatics is a great, great gift shop. They tend to be very, very skewed revenue-wise to the fourth quarter, you know, usually November, December in particular. Uh, Fanatics was very much that way. So what a lot of e-commerce companies do is come Q4 in October, they're winding down their last-minute changes, and then November and December, you're done. Whatever you have, you're going. So basically, we had effectively nine months to merge them. And it was a very, very stressful nine months to try to merge the core components of three different commerce companies. And so going into it, you know, we had our priority list of what we wanted to get done. But I think the biggest mistake that we made was that that priority list tended to be a lot more fluid than it should have been. And when that happens, you know, you're then asking technology teams and, and business teams to reverse course, to shift, you know, it's, a, it's overnight to a completely different set of priorities. And then in some cases, we shift, ended up shifting back. You know, when you do that, you end up losing that productivity. You know, people, as we've all learned, people aren't a light switch. People aren't computers. While we use computers every day, people aren't. They have, there's a human element to that. And to me, the human brain just doesn't change like that over. And, and it really threw us for really threw us for a loop. So nine months. I mean, that yeah, that seems really fast. Ideally, in hindsight, looking back now, ideally, how long would you have taken to bring these companies together? What I think we would have done is, in hindsight, what I would have loved to have done is spend the nine months focused on things that had to happen. 
what had to happen in nine months? And, and what could happen before that nine months, after that nine months? Um, and the other thing about it is, you know, one of the things I think goes un, un, unaccounted for is, you know, there isn't just the systems, the technology, there's the leadership. You, you have three different companies, cultures, all coming together as one, you know, as well. And, and that, I think, wasn't really planned for. How the culture of three different companies, and, and to be clear, I don't think any one of them was better, necessarily better or worse than the other. They're just different. And when you have different personalities and different cultures, you have to account for that. So, you know, I don't know if it's so much an amount of time that we would have taken, but I, I do think what should have happened is going into that time period, we should have done a little bit better job of spending more time with one another, understanding how each other worked. Understanding, you know, what, what makes everyone tick? What makes one company tick over another? Because while we're all selling, at the end of the day, we're all selling sports merchandise, the manner in which we did it had some nuances to it, which those nuances seem small at the time, but they kind of complicated things. Yeah. So it's not so much the, the short time frame, it was the lack of focus within that time frame. Exactly. It was the two things combined. Exactly. It was the fact that we didn't really go into this thing as focused as we should have been on the priorities that we had. And what was the impact of that? I would say the biggest impact was a whole lot of stress and a good bit of turnover. Jacksonville is an interesting market. And, and well, if you think about 2013 versus now, and you see everyone with COVID really embracing remote work. And that's, that's wonderful. 2013, we weren't quite there yet. I mean, certainly people worked remote and that existed. But as far as a lot of companies do, FedEx wasn't the culture of a lot of them. So most of our technology was was in a few markets, Jacksonville included, but there were other markets around the country where we had developments. But what happened was, while everyone liked the idea of sports, the problem was you end up working people too long, too many hours, too many unscheduled after-hours meetings, impromptu calls. You know, fire drills that happened in the middle of the night, that wears on people. You know, that really wears on people. And, you know, at the time I was, I was still single. And, you know, for me, it was stressful enough. But, you know, I look back at it now. I mean, now I'm married. We have three beautiful children coming up on a year and a half old or three and a half years old, excuse me. And I couldn't imagine doing that life and having that many unscheduled interruptions with my family, you know, that at some level, the financial and, and, and money and, and pay and all of that, it, it's nice when you're wrong, it feels like you hate them. I'm not going to say that, but at some level, it becomes not worth it. Yeah, it sounds like a very stressful situation. It was extremely stressful. I, I'm very glad for, for being through it. I mean, I, I learned a lot, but if I had to do it over again, I, I wouldn't have wanted to go through it like I did, like I tell you that. Yeah, and I, I'm, we can all relate to those stressful situations. I mean, th- this one was exacerbated by in a very short amount of time trying to trying to bring these three organizations together. You said the priority list was fluid, so there was a lack of fo- focus, which resulted in turnover and the high level of stress that you described. So let's talk about the leadership lessons in this. I mean, you you're describing like all of the things not to do. You know, Steve, as you've lived through this experience and are now leading, no doubt, 
you've enhanced your influence as a result of this learning experience. What are some of the key things that, that, you, that you would say are important in these kinds of situations? You know, rather than a fluid priority list, how do you go about really determining your priorities? So I, I think what it comes down to is really, you know, putting together that list to begin with. So how to do that. So one, IT needs to have a seat at the table the entire time. And they are not a contractor. They are not a vendor. They are not a supplier. They are a team. IT needs to be looked at as a teammate whenever you're working on your priorities. And if they're not, forgive me for saying you're doing it wrong. That I think is a big key. And, and, and when I say IT, it can't just be your organization's IT, your CIO or CTO. Now, having that person's great, it's wonderful, don't be wrong. To me, it has to be more than that. Having, having that next level down, be able to work also. So it's not just the executives and, the C, and your C-level IT leadership. It's that next level of vice presidents and directors in the business and the IT working together in tight well, and one thing I'll add to that, Steve, I, so I think you make a great point and, and certainly like in this situation, IT, but I think the, the broader lesson here is like, who are the right stakeholders to engage and being really thoughtful about having those people at the table to engage in the solution? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, besides IT, I mean, you know, really it's, it's all of your key departments in your company. It, it's, it's your marketing group. It's your sales group. It's your business development you know, in an e-commerce company, you typically have somebody like a director of e-commerce or vice president of e-commerce or something like that. It's your operations folks. It's your customer service folks. Customer service is key. I, I'm not mentioning any particular order because bottom line is that at any retail company or an e-commerce company, if any of those departments that I previously mentioned have an issue, guess who is getting the email? Guess who is getting the chat? Who, guess who is getting the phone call? Customer service. And if you overwhelm them, if they break down, you're done. You're done. Because if people can't get resolution, they will look outside your company for resolution if there's a problem. And, and, and no good is going to come from that. There, it, it's really all of those groups sitting together and working together on priorities. And, 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 and you have to engage those folks. I mean, your first reaction is sometimes the marketing folks are like, I don't know how much I care about the operations part. Well, if you do it all of a sudden, you can't do what you would plan to do because you have an operational component. So there is an aspect of every one of those groups working together and focusing on their priorities. And to me, having that list of sacred priorities is the key. So these are the priorities across all company. And regardless of how many they are, they could be two, they could be five, they could be seven, eight. I mean, you probably can't be a hundred. Whatever those priorities are, those are the priorities and those are the keys across all departments. And how do you determine those when you've got different perspectives at the table? Because you started with like, get the key stakeholders. So now you've got key stakeholders, but everyone's perspective is a bit different because of the part they play in the business. So how do you as a group come up with like the set of sacred priorities? Yeah, I think the biggest areas are one is financial. I mean, look, most e-commerce companies aren't charities. We're, well, we're doing this because we enjoy it, but you know, it's, this is not a it's not something that's good for the soul. We are businesses. So the financial aspect, what will be a great revenue drop? What will be a great cost of, you know, cost avoidance item? Um, that's number one. Number two, how do the pieces fit together? So, you know, you may have an item that is, is, sounds like the most unsexy item 
that's on your priority list, but has to get done because it may enable these five other things that will all either drive revenue or have a huge cost avoidance. Those are, and a lot of times in technology, that's the milk, that's the plumb. I mean, just like in your house, nobody really wants to deal with plumbing unless there's a problem. I mean, plumbing technology is that way, that middleware, that integration. Those areas of technology are so key to making sure that everything else around it is working. And, and you're going to have to have people at the table that really naturally may not care about that, but they're going to have to care. And I think it's IT's job to show them why they need and you bring up a good point there. It's the so just the process of having the conversation is going to be really helpful because people are educated and learning in that process about those enablers and dependencies. Absolutely. And, and yeah, the key is it, it can't just be the executive team going through this. It has to be that next, you know, to me at least that next level that really understand your vice presidents and your directors really understand how these things work at a that's good. So, so again, so thoughtful about who were the right people to be a part of this decision-making process. Good. So so I, that's so helpful. So it certainly starts there with the right people. And then you're in a position to really determine what are our sacred priorities. What, what else is helpful in that process or uh, other key leadership lessons as you reflect on living through this experience? I think the number one thing is take care of your people. Take care of your people. Look, e-commerce isn't known as a cool, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday clock punching industry. It's not. It's not. And, and, and I'm not sitting here and saying that it should be. But, uh, you know, because e-commerce is not a, a nine to five operation. Websites aren't open nine to five, Monday through Friday. The key though is just like we need to set expectations and set priorities, is set expectations with your people. And then the key is to stick with those expectations. Understand if there needs to be after hours work, give people as much notice. If people need to be on call, set a regular rotation schedule that people can follow. So people understand when they need to be on call, when they need to be available. Show, show people you care by, by talking to them. You know, some, some employees will share more about, you know, their life outside of work with others. And obviously a manager's job is not to, is not to pry into somebody's personal life. But at the same time, if you're sitting down with a person doing a one-on-one and saying, hey, how's everything going? You're doing okay? Do you need anything? If the person opens up and shares things in their personal life, listen to them. It doesn't mean give them advice or pretend to be a psychiatrist or, or tell them what they need to be doing in their personal life. Because that's like your role as a manager. But it can be your role to listen to people and to understand what they're feeling and have empathy for what they're going on. That's how to do it. That's so good. The, all, all of those cultural components that, you know, you, you described this very stressful time and you, t- you talked about the toll that it had on you. And you were saying at that time, you know, you didn't have kids, but you, I can imagine that those that did, like that was really, was really tough for them to balance their personal and professional life, working the long hours that they were. Absolutely. I mean, in, in many households, you know, they're not one income households or two income households. So it's not like, a time period where it's, it's all, let's say, men in the office and, and women are home. It's just not the way society works. That's not the way business works. I mean, you have men, you have women. You have different people, you know, taking care of your family, taking care of your household, taking care of children. You know, you have to be respectful of different people, different cultures, different households that are taking care of their, their business in their way. 
And, and again, not everyone does everything the same way. So it's very important to listen to understand to set clear expectations for the people so that they know when they're going to be needed, when they're not going to be needed, when they can have some time away from work. Yeah, that's good. Well, and just, I really like the setting expectations, but also your point about, you know, listening and acknowledging, like that just, just showing empathy that, hey, like this is a really tough time and I see you, I see you struggling. I mean, at least that shows people that there's care and concern there and that the leaders notice. Absolutely. And it's obviously some of it's easier said than done. I mean, all these things that I'm, I'm saying now, I mean, I certainly myself wasn't perfect at them myself. I wasn't. There are things I look back on and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that I didn't get or that I did. You know, there are, are things that I've since learned over the years that I've learned to do better and to strive to do better. Um, but it, and whether or not it's something that works directly for you or not, just how you treat people, how you talk to people, how you interact with people, I, I think is key. We're all humans here. We're all humans trying to do a job. Your humanity is showing just like everyone else's, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean this, with everything going on in the year 2020, I think, uh, I think humanity and culture is definitely needed. Yes. Well, and, and at the same time, you're trying to figure out priorities and focus and people are feeling really stressful. I mean, you've got, you've got three cultures coming together. You talked about, you know, within this nine-month time frame, you brought three companies together with three different cultures. So how how did that play out? It was not as good as I think it could have been, and, and I don't. I certainly don't look back and blame anybody there for what happened. Because I think it was, I think it was a collective, you know, opportunity for us to evolve on that. So you know, one of the things that I think happened with that is you didn't have company, the company, really understand what was important to other areas of the company. So. You know, an example was when we converted one of our e-commerce sites onto our core platform. All of a sudden, sales, conversion, conversions measurement of traffic minus, you know, about sales, or sales on traffic, excuse me. All of those key metrics in e-commerce all of a sudden went in a tank on one of our sites. And we looked at this thing and we said, okay, what are the, fe- what are the features that was one site has? What are the features at this site? They're the same. On paper, they were the same. But in reality, the way the site shopped, the way the site was organized, the people, you know, the consumers on the site, they, they weren't the same. They didn't approach things the same. You know, and, and not to get too deep into that, but there is an aspect of people that buy goods for, or sports goods for the teams that they support, the teams that they are a fan. There are another aspect of people that buy sports merchandise because they like the player or because they like the way it looks. They like the fashion. They like the colors. That happens. That wasn't something that I initially thought of. That wasn't something that a lot of people think of. But there is that group of people that do that. And the bottom line is we did not consider the people that use the site, the people that shop the site when we did that conversion. So we had to spend a whole lot of effort redoing what we did. And from a priority perspective, those sort of things do a horrible job of upending priorities. When, when all of a sudden you have to go do something twice. Yes, when you have to do something t- twice. So doesn't this go back to your pick something and stick with it? It does. It does. Because part of picking something and sticking with it is to make sure that you do it right the first time. Exactly. And, and then stay focused on that. Because it's easy to get hooked and pulled away from the focus. Absolutely. And I think the motto that I look back on that year is to say, 
we did a lot of things that we didn't particularly do a lot of things really well, but we did a lot of things. And that, I think, is the problem because, you know, especially when you're a growing company, there's that urge to, okay, if we can get this right 97 or 98 or 99% of the time, we'll deal with the 1%. And when you're a startup, small company, that 1% is small. You have somebody do it, you know, spend a little bit of time as part of their work to do that. The problem is that doesn't scale. So when you become a larger company, when you start hitting revenue in the hundreds of millions or billions, all of a sudden, that 1% or that 2%, that's a whole lot of work. You know, here in the U.S., we just had our presidential election, our election day, and we all of a sudden realized, oh, wow, 98% of the votes on this state are in. That seems like a lot. It's Those 2% add up to a whole lot of votes, and I think we saw that happening a lot. And, and we have to remember that 1% or 2% is really only relevant depending on the scale of what that is. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. That's so good. Well, I mean, this, so, so there have been many times throughout our conversation when you, you know, you've acknowledged that like, hey, we didn't always get it right. I didn't always get it right. And, but, but isn't that what a pivotal moment is all about, is about learning and reflecting and identifying like, how can I use this experience to better my leadership? And certainly, you know, this experience for you has taught you a lot that informs the way in which you lead today. Absolutely. I mean, look, it'd be really nice if, if all the pivotal moments in, in one's career were all moments that you knocked it out of the park and, and, and it was perfect. That would be wonderful. They're, they're not. I, I would challenge anybody that, that didn't have a few of those moments. Of course. Well, and that's how we learn. That's how we grow. So it's so good. So I think it's key that you really reflect upon, you know, enjoy your success as fast as your success, but really embrace, embrace your failures. Embrace or things that maybe weren't complete failures, but really didn't go as well as you think they could have gone. Brace those things. Look at what happened and really try to look at, okay, some of these things I really could have done differently. Some of these things, maybe I didn't necessarily cause the biggest problem here, but what could I have done that? So good. Well, Steve, thank you so much. My, my three big takeaways from our conversation today you know, framing these takeaways around your pivotal moment of bringing companies together, you know, you you got to start with getting the right people in the conversation. And so really being thoughtful and strategic about that, then you're in a position to determine those sacred priorities. And through it all, pay attention to what's happening with people. You said, take care of your people. So thank you so much for sharing those, those insights with us. If our listeners want to connect with you, Steve, what's the best way to do that? Best way is, is usually LinkedIn. I'm fairly active on it. Uh, you know, if you just search Steve, uh, Steve Congro, C-O-N-G-R-O, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Steve Congro listed on LinkedIn. So you should be able to find me that way. Uh, and that's, that's usually the best way. I'm, I'm happy for people to send me messages to connect. Uh, obviously, my, what I, I interest tend to be in the retail, supply chain, e-commerce, technology space. But uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm interested in a lot of different topics around business and, and people and, and I'm happy to connect. Yeah, yeah. And the concepts you shared today are transferable across all businesses and business functions. So thank you for that. Thanks for being here. Absolutely happy to do it. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story. 